Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. Amen. You can take a seat. As you do, I'm going to invite you to come to 1 Timothy chapter 3. As you're turning there, I want you to think what words come to mind, what words or images come to mind when you think of a local church. Maybe you're going to immediately go back to the church that you grew up in. Maybe you have uh, pictures of certain colors of the carpet. Um, <laughs> I like how there was that collective groan there. When, um, maybe certain smells come to mind, um, pleasant or otherwise, de- depending on. Um, maybe faces come to mind when you think of a local church. You know, for me, I, I, I go back to the first Baptist church at Tohoka, Texas, where I spent my entire life. Uh, only lived in one place, attended one church until uh, the time that I went to college. Um, and growing up, we had this bright red carpet. Um, it, it's it's like, like so bright that you wonder what on earth they were thinking when they put it in. Uh, but the carpet was red, the pews were red, the choir chairs were red, the hymnals were... Somebody loved red when they decided this. Um, and, and I, but I just remember, like, that, that's burned into my image. And there's still a smell that, that, that reminds me of that, of that church. It's not a bad smell. There wasn't, like, a, you know, a leaky sewer pipe or anything like that in the church. It just, it just had this smell. And I can remember faces of folks uh, who were staples of that church, many of whom have, have passed on now and, and are with the Lord. Um, when you, when you think of the local church, you know, I, when you ask that question, you're going to get all kinds of responses. What, what comes to mind when you think of a local church? And, um, for me, I, I have the best memories in that church. Um, did some things I wasn't supposed to. Um, some, some, some wild things of, of, you know, youth events that we did. And if folks knew some of the stuff we got away with, I would probably not be allowed to be your pastor. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, running through the church and being told to stop running, uh, just like I tell my kids now. Um, but good memories of people who loved the Lord, people who loved each other, and, and yes, yeah, and people who fought over carpet color from time to time. This morning, we're going to ask, what is the local church? Or more, what, what should the local church be? Not, not just the, the building, not just church governance structures, but what is the local church? And we're going to see this in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're just going to look at three verses this morning, really short. Um, but as I joked with somebody this morning, the Cowboys don't play till 6, so I've got you for a while. Okay? <laughs> um, we're, we're going to ask, what, what, is, what, what is the local church? Who are we and what do we do? Those two simple questions, all right? So if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. Let's stand as we honor the word the Lord's given to us this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14, the Bible says, I write these things to you, hoping to come to you soon. But if I should be delayed, 
I have written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And most certainly, the mystery of godliness is great. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the wonderful opportunity that we have to gather together as your people, members of the body of Christ, gathered together in a local church known as First Baptist Church of Alamogordo, New Mexico, to declare your praises as we sang just a moment ago, that you are great and mighty, and open up your word to ask who we are as members of your body, the church. And what our task is as members of your local church. Would you remind us once again of your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness to us. And of the wonderful privilege that we have to be called children of God. Men and women who've been called and redeemed and predestined to be conformed to the image of your son. Let these truths wash over us. This morning, we ask all these things in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Now, Paul uses really three pictures here to describe who we are as a local church. Now, in, in English class, you might have been told that you're not supposed to mix metaphors. Okay. Uh, so if there are any high school uh, uh, English teachers here, retired high school teachers here, or um, English nerds, I'm sorry, okay? Um, Paul mixes his metaphors. But he has some deep images that we're going to see this morning of who we are as the body of Christ. And, and as I was studying this week, and even this morning, as I was kind of going over my notes again, and, and, and I don't normally do this, but, but this morning I, I was reading through my notes, and I went, you know, there's a couple of things I want to add here. And so I was really uh, doing more sermon preparation on a Sunday morning than I normally do. As, as I was just reminded of some things. In fact, at, at the end, I even came across a, uh, some, something that somebody had tweeted, and I went, wow, that's really good. So I put that in my sermon notes th this morning. Um, I was struck by the privilege that we have to be a part of a local church. You know, in God's providence and his sovereignty for us, when, when he called us to himself, when he, saves, when he saved us, when he saved you, when he saved me, he didn't just redeem us, although certainly in and of itself that would have been enough. He didn't just forgive our sins and give us eternal life, although that would have been wonderful. He gives us a brand new family. So he doesn't just say, okay, your sins are forgiven and you're going to spend eternity with me. Um, good luck. You, you live your life and I'll see you when, when you die. No, he calls us, he saves us, from our sins, and he saves us to himself and to the family of God that we know as the church. And sometimes we'll use that with a big C and, and refer to the universal church that is uh, all believers everywhere. But more often than not, when we say the church, we mean this body, not the building, the people. God has saved us to be a part of a local body. 
I don't know about you, I, I, I think that's something we've not done a really good job of teaching about the privilege of being part of the body. You know, I think oftentimes when we talk local church, we'll, we'll talk about the messiness of it, and, and it is messy. Um, in fact, it, let's just dive right in. So, so who are we? The first picture that, that Paul uses here is God's household. It says that in chapter 4. I write these, verse 14, I write these things to you, hoping to come to you soon. Verse 15, but if I should be delayed, I have written so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. When you were saved, you were brought into the household of God. Now, now that word household is not referring to the building. It's referring to the family that gathers together. So when you, when you see that word there, household, think God's family. The local church is a family. Now that doesn't mean that we're always a functional family. Okay? If you're a part of a family, you may be keenly aware of the fact that families don't always get along. Families don't always agree. Sometimes families fight. But at the end of the day, we're still family. And that's the picture we have of the local church. I wonder how much things would change in our, in our church culture of um, our lack of commitment to a local church, by and large. Not, not just speaking here, not just speaking in Alamogordo or in New Mexico, but, but across the board here in the United States, we see a lack of commitment to the local church. It's almost become, well, if there's nothing better going on on Sunday mornings... I might get out of bed and make it to church. If the Cowboys aren't playing at 11 o'clock, I might make it to church. You laugh, all right? I'm, I'm, I'm being honest. That's why the Lord gave us DVR. It's a, what a wonderful blessing that he's given to us. And you know what I've had to come to grips with is that the Cowboys are probably going to lose whether I'm watching them or not. So I, know, I have, no, I have no, uh, <laughs> no effect on that outcome whatsoever. Um, but how much more would it change if it became something of, oh, I, I, I have to go or I might go to, I get to go gather with God's people this morning. And some of those folks drive me up the wall. But we're family. We're family. If... If, if I had one prayer for our church over the next year, well, there's a lot of things, but, but, but if I could say one thing about the, the fellowship of our church that I wish we could grasp is that we're a family of God. Not perfect. I, one of my favorite quotes is, is from C.H. Spurgeon, who, who said essentially, um, if you ever find a, a perfect church, you should stay far away from there because you will ruin it the moment you walk in the door. Folks, and we're going to talk more about this here in a minute, but, but if you're looking for a church where everything's just the way you like it, you will be continually frustrated with churches. Do you know why? Because it's not about you. I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get back to that. Now, now that I've made that provocative statement, let's move on, and I'll come back to that in a minute. We're God's household. We're God's family. But secondly, he also says that we are the church of the living God. Church of the living God. We see this in Acts chapter 20, 
which we referenced some uh, when we were talking about uh, the role of elders and the role of pastors. We, we saw this verse, we used this verse where when we talked earlier about false teachers in the church at Ephesus, we referenced this verse. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, this is Paul talking to the people of the church at Ephesus. He says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Okay, so he's talking to elders here. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I think in your outline there, you should have that underlined, which he purchased with his own blood. Think about that for a second. We get to be a part of the church of the living God. He purchased us. He bought us, you and me, with his own blood. Now, what does that mean? Well, uh, for one, it means that if he bought us, he gets to tell us what to do. It's our job to obey. Now, maybe that idea of, wait a second, he, he bought us. Maybe, maybe that uh, sounds off to you. Maybe, maybe that sounds a little, uh, little too much like slavery. So let's think of it another way. He redeemed us. The Bible, see, the Bible says that because of our sin, we were separated from Almighty God. In Ephesians 2, Paul tells us that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. I'm just going to read this. I'm gonna, you, you don't have to turn there. You can just listen. Uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. And you were dead in the, your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived, according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. That sounds bad. Don't worry, it gets worse. Um, <laughs> Verses 11 and 12, so then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. So listen, if that idea that, that God bought you uh, is, is a little too rough on, on, on our sensibilities, think about this idea that this is where we were before Christ came along. Dead. Uh, you know, after that description, he really doesn't need to go on, does he? You were dead. But he does. Not only were you dead, you were alienated. You were separated. Without hope. But I love verses 4 and 13. Now, I kind of jumped around there, okay? I stopped, in, stopped after 3 and stopped after 12. 4 and 13 are the good news in the midst of this awful news that Paul's talking about. And they both start with the same word, but. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us in verse 4. But God, Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What we mean when we say he purchased us with his own blood, that he bought us, that he redeemed us, 
is that brothers and sisters, we were separated from God. The Bible says that all of our righteous deeds were as filthy rags in his eyes. We could never do enough to earn salvation, to earn forgiveness. And when we were powerless to save ourselves, God sent Christ to purchase us with his own blood. And because of that, we get to be part of the church of the living God. What a thought. Not just a family, but a family who all have this one thing in common. We were lost, but now we're found. But Paul doesn't stop there. He uses another picture. He says, I want you to know um, how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. And then he says, the pillar and foundation of the truth. The pillar and foundation of the truth. Now we did not, as, as some will claim, the church of Jesus Christ did not invent the Bible. But the church of Jesus Christ stands upon the Bible and proclaims the truth of the Bible to a lost and dying world. This is how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. See, there he goes mixing metaphors again. Right? But just think about those images real quick. Co-workers. Not only has God saved us, not only has he redeemed us, then he calls us to come alongside him and be about the work of the kingdom with him. We're his co-workers. We're his field. In us, we get to be an example of the harvest of righteousness that comes when men and women are devoted to Christ. And you're God's building. A structure built upon his truths that stands as a testament to the glory of the gospel. Then he goes on. According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder. And another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, the fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will experience he will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, what's, what is he getting at here? He's saying you and I have been given the privilege and the responsibility of building on the foundation of the gospel. We get to take part in seeing the kingdom of God expand. The local church is the foundation of the truth of God's word. It's here 
in your life and in my life that the gospel plays itself out. And the local church is the body that's tasked with proclaiming the good news of Christ to the world. Now hear me out. There are a lot of good organizations that seek to do this. I'm grateful for campus ministries like Campus Crusade for Christ, like our own Christian Challenge that will train students at uh, places like New Mexico State and the University of New Mexico, Eastern New Mexico, to go and share the gospel with with folks on campus. We get to support that ministry and and many others, like, like our camps, disaster relief through Mission New Mexico. And those are good. But, but, but can I tell you something? God has not tasked organizations like Campus Crusade for Christ to fulfill the Great Commission. He's tasked the, the church with the task of fulfilling the Great Commission. Can, can, I, can I tell you something else? It's not the job of the Supreme Court or the president to stand up for God's word. It's the mission of believers to stand upon the truth of God's word. Now, I'm not saying that that we shouldn't elect godly men and women to positions of leadership. I, I believe... I believe we should look for those. I'm grateful for men and women of God who, who feel called to serve in the public square. But, but if you're looking for a man or a woman in a black robe in D.C. to uphold the word of God, you're looking in the wrong place. It starts here. And before it can happen in the local church as a whole, it starts in your heart and it starts in my heart to stand upon the truth of the word of God and to share the truth of the gospel with a world that's lost and dying. As you heard Dr. Bunce say, there are over 1.7 million people in New Mexico who do not have a relationship with Christ. That's in a state that has just over 2 million people in total population. Across our state, we see 90% lostness, in some areas as high as 95%. So so hear me out. You you know what that means? It means that you got neighbors who do not know Jesus Christ. That the person in the cubicle or the office or the classroom next to yours most likely does not know Jesus Christ. The person in front of you and behind you in line at Walmart probably doesn't know Jesus Christ. The person who has no idea what they're doing at a four-way stop has no idea what they're doing in life because they don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So the question this morning is, what are we going to do about it? We're blessed with a gorgeous facility. We're blessed with an air conditioner that's finally working. But folks, if we focus on those things to the exclusion of reaching people, we have failed in our mission as First Baptist Church. 
Because air conditioners, as wonderful as they are and as grateful as we are to have it, this brand new air conditioner is ultimately going to fail one day. This building will one day cease to be here. But the gospel will remain. The kingdom of God will go on forever. And can I share with you a hard truth that I've had to learn? First Baptist Church of Alamogordo doesn't get to exist just because we gather on Sunday mornings. We, we don't have a right to exist just because we have articles of incorporation. In fact, if you look at the churches of the New Testament, we, we don't have any history of any of those still being in existence today. In fact, in Revelation, we see seven churches, six of whom are, are told, I'm about to remove my presence from you because you're not doing what a church should, should do. For Ephesus, it was you've lost the love you had at first. I believe God has great things in store for our church. I wouldn't have uprooted my family and come here if I, if I believed any different. We wouldn't be celebrating God's faithfulness over 120 years if, if we didn't believe we were poised to, to go for another 120 years. But if we're not obedient to be fulfilling the Great Commission, we don't have a right to exist. So that brings me to the question, what do we do? What, what do we do about it? What have we been tasked with? Well, simply this, and we see in verse 16, your, um, your outline in verse 16 is, is literally just coming from verse 16. I got real creative with it this, this time, okay? Um, we proclaim the mystery of godliness. That's what Paul says in 16. He's writing to tell us how to conduct ourselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. And that most certainly the mystery of godliness is great. Now, when Paul uses this word, he'll, he, we saw it uh, last week when we looked at deacons. When he uses this word mystery, the Greek word is mysterion. It means something once hidden, now revealed. What Paul's referring to here is the gospel. That those who are far off from Christ can be brought near through the blood of Christ. That's the mystery that he's referring to here. That you and I, Gentiles, those who are once thought to be far away and unclean have been brought near through Christ's sacrifice. And now we declare the truths of the gospel. And Paul's so helpful because he lays them out for us right here. The mystery of godliness is great. He was manifested in the flesh. Meaning Christ came, took on skin and bones, left his eternal glory in heaven to walk dusty streets. Was vindicated in the spirit. I mean, the spirit of God testified about him and testifies about him in our hearts. 
reminding us of the truths of the gospel, reminding us of who Christ is as we are in God's word. He was seen by angels, meaning even the heavenly host proclaims who Christ is and will with us for eternity declare the praises of God and the praises of Christ Jesus. Preached among the nations. As we've shared before, Acts is a fantastic book as we watch the way the gospel explodes and and takes off around the known world. What began as a group of 120 Jews huddling together in a house becomes by the end of the book of Acts a worldwide phenomenon. Stretching all the way to Rome and from Rome It traveled west until here we are 2,000 years later in Alamogordo, New Mexico, gathering to worship this Jewish Messiah. And now what we're seeing happen is the center of Christianity shifting from uh, the west, primarily United States and Europe, back to the east. It's going home. And in our lifetime, we have the opportunity to see the gospel carried literally to the ends of the earth. I'm, I'm not an end times guy, so I'm not going to dive into what all that could mean for, for, for Christ coming back, other than to simply say, we are seeing the Great Commission fulfilled before our very eyes. But that doesn't mean we stop focusing on Jerusalem just to focus on the ends of the earth. There's still a lot of work to do right here in our backyard. Preached among the nations. You know, the United States is becoming an interesting place. Uh, there's a whole lot of discussion right now over immigration laws, and, and, and there's, a, there's a whole lot of, uh, it's a complex issue with a lot of questions. I don't pretend to have all those answers. Other than to say what we're seeing happen in many of our communities is that to reach the nations, you don't have to go to a mission trip across the world. You can go across the street or across town and reach the nations. You know, we still have a decent Korean population here. We still have some Germans here. Because of Holloman, we will constantly have other nations coming here. We, we have the opportunity to reach the nations right in our own backyard. What a blessing that is. He was believed on in the world is the next thing. And then finally, he was taken up in glory. And what a message we've been given to proclaim this mystery of godliness that, that you and I, who were once far off, but now been, have been reconciled with Christ, have the opportunity to share that good news with the world. Have you noticed there's enough bad news to go around? Man, there's so much bad news. We as Christians have the opportunity to share good news. You know, for a lot of folks that you've ran into, I wonder how long it's been since they've heard really good news. I wonder how long it's been since someone's told them, hey, I I love you and, and I'm praying for you. Here's why we exist. 
The church of Jesus Christ exists to proclaim the gospel to the world. I heard a great metaphor about this um, a while back. You, you, most of you know that um, I do a podcast with my buddy up in Mayhill. I don't talk a lot because I'm not interested in, in using my platform as a pastor to promote my own little goofy podcast. But um, several months ago, Matt and I had the opportunity to interview Dr. Ken Hemphill, who uh, was at the time uh, running for the pres- to be president of the Southern Baptist Convention, one of two men. He ultimately uh, did not win that post. Dr. Hemphill served as uh, the president of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary back in Fort, in Fort Worth back in the 1990s. Um, sharp man. Um, we were talking about church revitalization on this episode, and, and he, he talked about the book of Acts and and how we see um, the, the Holy Spirit at work throughout the churches in the book of Acts. And then he said this. He said, you know, I think a lot of people have this idea that the local church is a cruise ship. He said, now, now think about this for a second. If you've ever been on a cruise, if you haven't ever been on a cruise, I highly recommend it. It's awesome. If you can handle the swaying of the boat. If not, there's medication. You should still take it and, and go on one. Um, Man, a cruise, the, the point of a cruise ship is for you to be as comfortable as possible, for you to have as great an experience as possible. You don't have to worry about food because there's food 24-7, there's entertainment, there's room service. It's a wonderful experience, all aboard a boat. I think a lot of people have a, this picture of the local church that's like a cruise ship. I come here and I expect my needs to be met. And I expect to be made comfortable here. I expect to be entertained. And if those things don't happen, then I'm probably going to go on to another church down the road that'll better meet my needs, that'll better keep me entertained, that'll better keep me comfortable. And then Dr. Hempel said that the, the local church is not a cruise ship. The local church is meant to be a battleship. We've been given a mission to preach the gospel to a lost and dying world. Simple question I would have is, well, how do I know that which view of the church I have then? And I would say that's simple. If you're always complaining about something in the local church, you might, have, you might see it as a cruise ship. If you have an attitude that the church is here to serve me, the church is here to meet my needs, rather than the church exists to reach a lost and dying world, how can I be a part of that? Folks, hear me. The church is not a country club where you pay your dues and then you get to sit back and have all of your needs met. We've been called to a mission to share the good news with the world. As I said before, there's enough bad news. Let's, let's not add to that by being complaining Christians all the time. Let's share the good news. Let's believe the good news. How, how would that change our view of the local church if I said, I'm, I've been called to this family. I've been redeemed and saved from sin by a Savior who loves me and who's made me a part of this family, however imperfect it may be, 
whom God is working in and through to shape me more into the image of Christ. And he's using me in this local body to shape others into the image of Christ. I told you I came across a tweet this morning. Maybe the first time I've ever quoted a tweet, especially one that I saw that morning in, in a sermon. But uh, this is from Pastor Ray Ortland, Southern Baptist pastor, um, who I follow on Twitter. And he said this, The early Christians were not wringing their hands and moaning, What's the world coming to? They were rejoicing and declaring, Look who has come to the world. I read that and I thought, boy, that's good. It's good. They weren't, they weren't looking at the world around and saying, man, what's the world coming to? I mean, folks are listening to Florida Georgia Line and, man, what on earth is happening out here? No. They were saying, look who's coming to the world. Christ, God himself, is coming to the world. We have the opportunity to share that with the world. Let's share it. Let's proclaim this mystery of godliness. You know what? When you, when you hear and you share about the local church, the glory of the local church being a family, what you're often going to hear is, well, why would I go to church that's full of hypocrites? You know what you can say? Yes, you're probably right. Come join us. You'll fit right in. Because we're not perfect. God's still working on us. Be shaping us into his image individually, and I believe as a church, as a local church, he's shaping us into the image of Christ. I love, I love the local church. I love this local church. It's such a joy and a privilege to pastor y'all, to pastor the saints at First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. Let's band together. To not just gather, to not just worship and, and open up the word here as, as good as that is. And yes, that's a priority for us. It's a privilege we have to gather together. Let's band together to share the gospel with a lost and dying world. And see if we can't play some part in pushing back darkness in New Mexico. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you so much for, as we've talked about, the privilege of being a part of the local church. God, I pray we would not see the local church as a cruise ship or a country club that exists to make my life comfortable, exists to meet my needs, but that we might see it as a rallying point to share the gospel with the world around us. And God, I pray that we would see men, women, and children come to faith in Christ as we're faithful to proclaim the gospel I pray in our own lives we would see the book of Acts come alive where people were saved and, and in Acts 2.47 it says they were saved every day. Will you show us what that can look like? Will you get these baptistry waters filled with men, women, children proclaiming Christ as Savior for the first time? God, we can't do it on our own. We, we need your spirit. And so I'm so grateful that you've given us your spirit. And as we looked at in our, in our class this morning, you've not given us a spirit of fear, 
but one of power and love and sound judgment. Show us what that power looks like in our daily lives. We ask all these things in the precious, mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. We meet on Sundays for small groups at 9 a.m. and worship at 1030. If you have more questions, please email office at fbcalamo.com or call 575-437-5510. Thank you for listening and may God bless you this week.